John chapter 20, starting at verse 19, in God's inspired and inerrant word reads, So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And so Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the imprint of the nails, and put my fingers into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger, and see my hands. And reach here in your hand, and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in the book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Father, we just ask a blessing upon the reading of Your Word. Father, we could, I could, say amen, sit down, and that would be enough. And so, Father, now that I attempt to add some thoughts to Your Word, I pray that Your Spirit would protect our hearts and our minds, that they would open our heart and mind to what Your Spirit would be saying to us, And Father, as I'm often reminded, that uh, words are just words. It's you that places them in our hearts. It's you that places them where they need to be placed. And so I pray, Father, that you would have your way among us this morning. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Peace be with you. Jesus ends his upper room discourse with these words. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. How quickly any peace and courage the disciples may have had disappeared. We are no different. We also can make grand statements of faith. We can make grand proclamations of what we would do if we're faced in a particular situation. If we, how would we respond when we're faced with that situation? And then when we're actually faced with that situation, 
we fall apart. I saw one definition of peace like this. Peace is a concept of societal friendship and harmony in the absence of hostility and violence. The final words of Jesus in his upper room discourse in this definition do not harmonize. Clearly, there are multiple ways that we must understand peace. How are we to understand peace? Jesus arrives on the scene after the past few days of lacking anything resembling peace by, uh, by anyone's definition. When you think about the past week that the disciples just faced, and Jesus says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. John starts out this portion of text with these words here. So when it was evening on that day, well, now obviously on that day was the day that Jesus rose from the grave, but he continues and says the first day of the week, and this is exactly why I might remind you of why we meet on a Sunday morning as I often do. The reason the disciples met on Sunday morning week after week after week was because that was the day Jesus rose from the grave and they seen Jesus. And I was reminded uh, about my own attitudes at times towards this first day of the week. And I was reminded how I might observe or how I might experience what we call Sunday if I would have seen the risen Lord as the disciples did. You know, sometimes we make... We make claims of, well, I don't need to worship on a Sunday morning. Well, you don't have to be here on a Sunday morning. Sometimes we say things like, well, <clears throat> Sunday is just another day. I often will say this, Sunday is just another day of the week, and, and that's often how we receive it. And yet I think it was quite different as we think about the disciples and how they met. And I think John wants us to know that as he emphasizes which day or what evening this was. It was the first day of the week. And he continues to be descriptive of this day. And he says, when the doors were shut. And when the doors were shut. Now that's a bit interesting because we need to understand the door wasn't just closed, but the door is locked. The door is bolted, if you will. They had a chair under the knob of the door. Did you guys ever do that? You put a chair under the knob of the door. But this door was shut fast. Nobody was coming in. Nobody was getting in. And I find it really interesting because John says the reason why is because fear of the religious leaders, fear of those who just got done crucifying Jesus, fear of those who who condemned their leader and hung him upon the cross. But they locked the door. They were lacking courage. They were lacking strength for good reason. Jesus had warned the disciples, as they have done to me, so they will do to you. And the disciples took Jesus serious on this point. And again, I was reminded how we can't transport ourselves back. We can't get in the little time machine and and travel back 2,000 years. But again, what they must have experienced and what they must have been thinking about what we spent a couple months going through, they heard Jesus say, In a matter of a few days. Let me remind you of what Jesus said just days prior, mind you. Just a couple days prior to these events right here. In John chapter 15, in verses 18 
through 20, Jesus had this to say. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Verse 20, remember that the word I said to you, he said it back in the 13th chapter, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute me. Now, what are they supposed to think after the events that just happened? And just two, three days prior to this, Jesus told them these very words. If the world hates you, they do. If you are of the world, you are not. If they persecuted me, they did. If they kept my word, they didn't. Jesus is saying, if they did that to me, don't be fooled. They will do it to you also. In 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul took this serious. Sometime after these events here before us, Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth as a way of encouragement. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, he said, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that, here's why, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. Paul says, listen, you're afflicted, but you're not crushed. You're perplexed, but not to disparity. You're persecuted, but you're not forsaken. You're struck down, but you're not destroyed. No life of ease. No life of ease they were ever told that they would have. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus says, Do not fear those who will kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him, fear God, who is able to destroy both soul and body. That was Jesus' way of of not necessarily being fearful of Jesus, but, but, but focusing upon Jesus, putting things into reality, putting things into perspective. Well, certainly we're concerned about our fellow men and women, right? But Jesus puts things into perspective and says, hey, have to keep me first. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul tells Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All the above brings despair if Jesus doesn't show up, Right? I mean, if you just read the words that just went and walked through that little exercise, all of that brings despair. All of that is reason to get into the room, lock the door, and never come out. But in our text, we see that Jesus does show up. And Jesus showed up and said, peace be with you. Interesting words, are they not? In the midst of what was just happening. What is he talking about? Peace. In a world that is all turned upside down and inside out. Certainly we can't relate with that. But this brings me to my first point this morning. And that is our mission is to spread God's peace. It is our mission as Christians living in a world 
that is no different than the world then, though the events are a bit different, but it's just turned upside down now as it was then, and if the Lord tarries, it will be in the future, but as Christian people, we must remember our mission. We must remember our focus, and that was these words of Jesus, and that is to spread God's peace. You see it in verse 21 of our text here. When Jesus said to them again, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Jesus is giving them their instructions. Jesus is giving them their marching orders, if you will. Jesus is filling in their contract for them. This is your purpose. This is your mission. As the Father sent me, and you've seen what that was like, so I also send you. Of course, this should remind us of the words of Jesus in His prayer to His Father that happened just hours ago. Well, I guess two and a half days ago where Jesus prayed to the Father in John chapter 17. And He said, As you have sent Me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. This is the mission that Jesus leads with His disciples. In John chapter 20 today, in verses 21 to 23, it is John's great commission. This is John's version of the great commission where he says, And when he had said this, Peace be with you, as the Father sends me, so also I send you. As he said this, he said then, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Interesting, are they not? Matthew left the Great Commission like this. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Spirit. Doing what? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We live in a time where we certainly seems to be a bit one disaster after another. How do we make sense of it all? How do we function within it all, if not with these words of Jesus? Peace be with you. We want peace. We want unity. Man will never bring peace or unity, no matter how they promise us they will, they will not because they cannot. As Christian people, we must remember that we must not get hung up in the things of the world, but stay focused upon the mission that God has given us. The mission that God has given us is to spread peace to our fellow men and women who are not experiencing peace, because true peace, lasting peace, can only come through, point to, the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can bring us peace. Not peace as the world knows peace, but peace to our soul, peace to our mind. Remember the little exercise we already went through. Life isn't going to be easy. Things will become difficult at times. But that doesn't mean we can't experience peace, right? Can't experience God's peace, this lasting peace. In verse 22, In verse 22, when Jesus had said this, he breathed on them. He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, commentators have debated this particular passage much, and and I'll bore you from all those things, but I will will just have this to say, the the word breathe in the original language, uh, because you know I can't help myself, is, is only used right here. That's it, nowhere else. 
And it should remind us all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And this is the part I want you to remember about this. Because as you remember, as God formed and created man from the dust of the earth, it says, then Yahweh formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils. It's the Hebrew sense of this Greek word. Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Do you see what is happening here with these words of Jesus? It is only God who can breathe life into dead men. Do you see what Jesus is demonstrating here for the apostles and letting them know that it is only as he leaves, that it's only going to be the Spirit of God breathed into them that this peace can be, become real. Of course, we see in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit here is, 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 uh, is spread out over all, is released upon, upon all those chosen by God. And then in verse 37, as, as Paul is preach, or as Peter is preaching, because they're saying, hey, you guys are speaking the languages we understand, and you should not be speaking Spanish or French or German or Russian or whatever. But you are, and we understand that. So what's going on? And so, so Peter launches into a sermon. All of a sudden, Peter has some courage. He launches into the sermon, and the people rush Peter, and they say, what must we do to be saved? Wow. Peter says, repent, verse 38, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That was the message, and that's what Peter told them. Now listen, this whole idea of preaching or, 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 or uh, <laughs> being baptized or repenting for the forgiveness of sins, we can't talk that way. No one wants to call out sin today, do we? No one wants to call out sin today. No one's going to want to attempt to fill up a church by calling out sin today. We shy away from that language, and we shy away from those words. If you call out sin, a sinful life, and somebody's in their way of living, you're labeled as a hate monger, are you not? And yet Peter says exactly that. That is, you want forgiveness? You want to receive the Holy Spirit? You need to repent from your sinful life, from your sinful way. You see, sin is the problem, is it not? Sin is the problem. The battle is the battle of sin. But the prize, the goal, is life eternal with Jesus. Life eternal with Jesus. So peace. And as they preached here in, in uh, for the forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit was laid out upon them, laid out upon us. See that peace comes through the forgiveness of sin. Peace comes through the forgiveness of sin. Verse 30 or 23. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Well, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? First, I want to take just a little footnote right here. Um, and, and we must understand this correctly, right? So first thing we must understand is that we don't interpret the Bible through one verse. No, no. We interpret the whole of the Bible into one verse, right? That's why we say, and I say over and over and over again, we interpret Scripture with Scripture. 
And, and just to give you a little bit of an example of this, because um, often uh, I get proof text thrown at me, and you get proof text thrown at you, and I always like to combat the proof text with this one. Great, I hear your proof text, and I raise you one. Matthew chapter 19, verse 21. Go do this, and then we'll talk. Sell all and give to the poor. Right? That's what one verse says. I don't see people lining up to do that. And just also to help us think through this just a little bit as we take a little break from the sermon and get into hermeneutics. In Acts chapter 4, verses 33 to 35, as you think about the early church that many want to model, all right, what was the early church all about? And with great power, the apostles were given testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed to each one as they had need. You still want to go back and model the early church? I don't think so. So obviously we already know this. We already know we cannot interpret one verse for the whole of the text. And so what is Jesus saying? He's saying something. What is he saying? Now, obviously, we also know, as as Catholicism would want to teach, that the Pope can forgive sins, which we know that's not possible. But what is Jesus then saying? Well, in Mark chapter 2, verse 7, the religious leaders themselves understood that no one can forgive sins but God alone. And in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, where Yahweh said, I am the one who wipes out your transgression. For my own sake, he says, for God's sake, I will not remember your sins. And in James, it tells us we are supposed to confess our sins one to another. I like how R.C. Ryle puts it, or J.C. Ryle. He puts it like this. He says, I maintain as strongly as anyone that there is a sense in which the verse now before us applies to all Christian ministers. And in this sense, their commission resembles that of the apostles. It is the office of every minister of Christ to declare boldly, authoritatively, and with decision, out of God's word, he says, out of God's word, who they are whose sins are forgiven, and who they are whose sins are retained. This is his commission. This is the work for which he is set apart and ordained. When a minister in his pulpit proclaims the full gospel of Christ faithfully, he does the work which our Lord in this verse commissioned the apostles to do. And so we certainly see a model that Jesus has set up as he put the apostles in charge of the churches, of these early churches, not to forgive sins because they couldn't do that, not to retain somebody else's sins or or not forgive those sins because they couldn't do that, but to spell out the teachings of God's Word, and by that, it should and would convict us of sin. This is why I often will give you my disclaimer verse of Acts 17.11. For these people were more religious than those people. Why? Because they took the words eagerly that Paul was preaching, and they went home, and they searched the Scriptures to see if these things were so, right? What is sin? We know what we believe. How many times do I say that? We know what we believe, but we must know why we believe it. Why do we believe it? 
Do we believe sin is sin because of what Scripture says? Do we believe sin is sin because of what culture says? Do we believe sin is sin because of what we feel? No. We get it from Scripture as Jesus has instructed the apostles to do. You know, um, there was a song going through my head often as I thought about today's message, and then I went another route, but, which often I do, but it was Peace Be Still. You know the song? It's a great song about Jesus calling the waters to be still when there was fear among the disciples. And I was also reminded of Peter. We love the imagination of Peter getting out of the boat, right? We love the courage that Peter experiences there. But how did Peter get into this mess that he got himself in? He stepped out of the boat. Stay in the boat, Peter. Why did he get out of the boat? He was all jacked up on emotions, and he wanted to be Superman. He wanted to be superhero, right? God, I wanted you to do great things in my life for you. God doesn't need you to do great things for him. God needs you and I to be faithful, right? To be followers, to believers. When did God show up for Peter? after he got himself in his mess by stepping out of the boat, when he failed, right? When he failed. God can only save us when we fail. When we realize that we cannot walk on this water. I am not a superhero. I'm not a Wonder Woman. It is only then that God can and will show up in our life. And see, this leads us to our final point, and that is peace comes through believing. That's all God is asking of us is to believe. That's all he was asking these disciples as he showed up in this room was to believe. Verse 29 of our text today here, he says, um, speaking to Thomas, who said he wouldn't believe unless he sees, he says, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who believe and haven't seen. I'll bet you you're not that different than I. And you have at times wondered, Lord, if I could just physically see you walk into the room, right? Lord, I, I, I know what your word says, but your disciples, they seen you, they walked with you, right? But if belief depended upon physically seeing Jesus, No one would have believed for 2,000 years. And yet, believing does require seeing. Believing does require seeing. In fact, John says, and the verse that I've quoted so many times over this past study through this gospel, these things have been written. Why? Why were these things written? So that you can believe. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's how. By believing what is written. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. Paul writes there to the church of Ephesus. And he prays for them and says that, you know, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? So that you may know what is the hope of his calling, capital H, God, his calling, what are the riches of his inheritance, 
in the saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Right? That's the prayer for Paul. That's the prayer for the church of Ephesus. And that must be our prayer. That we indeed do see. That God and the Spirit would open our hearts of understanding. That would open the eyes of our minds and our hearts. That so often, I line up first, that so often can be blinded. Peace be with me. Peace be with you. Peace be still. And yet, yet it is from the violence of the cross that this peace for your soul, that the peace for my soul is possible. Out of this presumed failure of Jesus, out of this violence comes peace. If only, if only you and I, if only we believe. It's all we are asked of by God. That's what Jesus told the disciples here. That's what Paul told the church in Rome. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. That's it. Do you see? Do you believe? It's the peace of God with you this morning. Father, I pray that as we take a very familiar story, a very familiar passage, and we come at it maybe a little bit differently. Father, I do pray that you would open the eyes of our heart, that you would open the eyes of our mind. Lord, not a single one of us has 20-20 vision. But Lord, we do pray that our eyesight, our spiritual eyesight, continues to improve day by day. And Father, as we think about your peace, and what your peace actually means and what it actually looks like. Father, every day we run into people and uh, through work or however that may happen that, that you divinely have these appointments created for us. People's lives who are anything but peaceful. Father, would you give us the courage? Would you give us the words? Would you give us the eyes and the ears to see and to hear them? And to point them to the only peace that is available for the soul, and that is you. And Father, also as we sit in a church service, and just because we're at a church service doesn't mean that we ourselves have confessed and believed. And so, Father, I, I pray that anyone here this morning who is wrestling with, do I actually believe? What do I believe or I don't believe? Father, I pray. I pray specifically for that person. Father, that your spirit, it can only be the work of your spirit, that your spirit would open that heart and that your spirit would open that mind and that they'd be receptive to what is clearly before them. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.